our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and welcome to 2009 and to another edition of the Veritas Show, where the truth will set you free. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and as always, a sincere thank you for tuning in. Did you make your resolution for 2009? I sure have one. Actually, it's more of a promise, a pledge to you to bring you the best and the brightest guests so we can disseminate as much knowledge as we can around the world to get closer and closer to the truth. Did you see the list of guests we have lined up for you? And it keeps growing. I really appreciate all your emails with great comments, questions, and feedback. We have posted some of them on the comment section of the website. To get in touch with me, very simple. By the way, if you hear a strange sound coming through the microphone, there's a big owl outside of our studio, and every time I try to articulate a word, the owl starts literally talking over me. So uh, if you hear that sound, it's not me, it's an owl. That's what happens when you broadcast from the desert. At any rate, if you need to get in touch with me, send me an email at uh, mel, M-E-L, at veritasshow.com. And if you have a guest recommendation, send an email to producer at VeritasShow.com, explaining why you think that someone should be a guest on the show. And we'll get in touch with him or her or it if it's not from this world. Remember, our interviews are unscripted, uncensored, and uncut. Listen at your own peril. What's the worst that could happen? That you get an overdose of knowledge? Well, that's better than TV, isn't it? Or as I like to call it, better than the subliminal tube. Now, watch the new year with the predictions. Tonight's special guest is Dr. Louis Turi, the modern-day Nostradamus, with predictions for 2009 and beyond. 
I have to be very honest and issue a disclaimer right from the beginning. I have never been a fan of astrologers because invariably most predictions don't come true and I'm more of a scientific method fan. However, that is not the case. Let me repeat that. That is not the case with Dr. Turi. And that's why I decided to open the year with him. Over the years, Dr. Turi has demonstrated an extremely accurate track record of future predictions. Considering the times we now find ourselves living in, this will be one interview you will not want to miss. Dr. Turi will be with us in just a few minutes. Did you ever, as a child, put a message in a bottle, threw it into the ocean, of course, back then being innocent, not knowing how that would cause so much pollution, but did you ever do that in the hopes someone somewhere would receive your message and reply? Well, that's exactly how I feel with this show. I threw the proverbial bottle with a clear message, and not only did I get a response back, but the message was received loud and clear by people in 69 countries. If you are new to the show, take a look at the blog and find that article. Click on it and see if your country is listed. If it's not, it will soon. Who said the internet couldn't compete with radio? A quick story about the internet. Back in 1995, in my previous corporate life, I had a chance to have dinner with the chairman of the board of the Fortune 500 company I used to work at. I had a business idea and asked him if he could commit financial resources so that we could have more of a presence on the internet in order for the company to grow. His answer, quote, I've been doing this long enough to know your idea won't work. Besides, who cares about the internet? Unquote. He gave me a pat on the back and walked away. Sounded like the person who said, who would buy a personal computer? Terry, tell that to the thousands of people around the world in 69 countries who have listened to this show in just a month since it started. Terry is now history, and we are all making history with this show. All of us, you and I. I'll keep doing my job and interviewing great guests. All I ask of you is to spread the word. That's the only way we can stay on the air. By the way, we have a couple of nice, let's call them widgets, on the blog section of our website. The widget on the left has current and ever-changing UFO-related news. And the widget on the right, I find it extremely interesting. It's called the UFO Stalker. It reports sightings from all over the world using Google Map technology, and the reporting party enters the information and even pictures. Someone sent them to me, and I thought you would enjoy them. Before I conclude this editorial segment, I would like to address a few emails I received. I would like to make the following clarification. I want to clarify my comments on the first show, where I said this show welcomes intellectual anarchy. That is very different than anarchy, as in the total absence of government. That is not what I meant. I meant freedom of thought. I am not an anarchist. The Greek said it best, without law, there can be no freedom. Some amount of government is a necessary force in any civilized orderly society. In a state of anarchy, however, Everyone has to guard life, liberty, and property, and the lives of family members. 
everyone must be armed and movement is severely restricted because one's property has to be protected at all times. In fact, those who create and advocate anarchy, like Lenin and Castro, end up being dictators. The proper amount of government makes everyone freer. The essence of freedom is the proper limitation of government. When government power grows, people's freedom recedes. Do you know a democracy is a transition between a republic and an oligarchy? Knowing this, we are left with two choices. We can keep our republic, as Franklin put it, or will inevitably end up with an oligarchy, which is nothing but a tyranny of the elite. And lastly, I do enjoy all the email from you and try to respond to all of them. That said, I've received some from those who say they don't understand why we talk about UFOs. Why can't we look at more pressing issues, the economy and the war and poverty and stuff like that? I don't even know where to start with those kinds of questions. For one thing, the show looks at those subjects, it covers them. Our name is not the UFO show, and we even say deep analysis of current world events as part of our motto. This show was designed to look at topics that are not covered in detail elsewhere. Paranormal phenomena, unexplained mysteries, conspiracies. That's the whole point of the show, being called Veritas. It's finding the truth. However, UFOs and extraterrestrial disclosure is at the very core of the program. It's the primary reason why I created this show. It's like the X-Files show. It dealt with all sorts of subjects and topics and paranormal events, but it always came back to UFOs. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Turi, the modern-day Nostradamus. If you want to hear about predictions from someone with a great track record, you don't want to miss this interview. Just like the great prophet Nostradamus, Dr. Turi was born and raised in Provence, France. He was influenced by Nostradamus's methods of divine astrology and spent many years reviving the seer's rare method. He grew up speaking the same now disappearing dialect. In 1976, he received the highest distinction, Musicianship Award Cup, and graduated from the Royal School of Music in London. He moved to the United States in 1984 and has since established himself as a successful astrologer, author, and lecturer. In 1993, he received a metaphysical doctorate from the Progressive Universal Life Church based in Sacramento, California. His notoriety skyrocketed after rekindling, practicing, and teaching Nostradamus's rare divine astrology method, which he calls astropsychology. He has also appeared on numerous radio and television programs worldwide. Dr. Turi is known for the hundreds of accurate predictions he makes. He writes a yearly periodical with all these predictions called Moon Power Star Guide. The printing process makes the proof of his predictions totally unarguable. Hello, Dr. Turi, and welcome to The Veritas Show. How are you? 
I am doing absolutely wonderful, but a bit too busy, Mel, that's all. Well, but... It's the end of the year, so uh, my Cosmic Code newsletter is uh, people are rescribing for it, and I'm getting calls faster than the, we can proceed the orders. You know, when you serve hundreds of thousands of people, it's not an easy game. The end of the year is just a nightmare, I'll put it this way. <laughs> well, it's a privilege, and I have to say this right from the beginning. I have listened to my share of visionaries, and the reason why we chose you is because I have followed your work for some time, and you have an uncanny ability to see the future, and your past predictions on record prove it. For the record, this show is airing on January the 9th, 2009, so that if people listen to the show in the future and make reference to your predictions, they will know when this show was recorded. Absolutely. Before we start with the core of the interview, it's a real privilege to have you on our first show of 2009. I also want to congratulate you on your new and upcoming BBC radio show. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. Well, um, the show on the BBC will be airing uh, every single Wednesday for anything from two to three hours, and the grand opening is on the 28th of January. We are working really hard to have everything set up, and one of the reasons that uh, I am starting this show uh, is because I want to be able to serve people much better because sad enough, sad enough, coast to coast, have erased me from their list of guests. And that is creating tremendous trouble as all my supporters, and God knows I've got thousands of them, are emailing them constantly, asking them why they don't want me on the air. But you know how it is. You seem to be more confident to have me on your show. Um, a few years ago, I was on the Jeff Rand show. I don't know if you heard of him. Of course. Uh, Jeff, and Jeff and I am really, really good friends. And we work together for, I don't know, maybe three or four years regularly. And I literally built this show. And one day, I made a mistake to tell him that I was considering starting my own show. Then he was honest. He was very honest with me. He says, you know what, Louis? You're my friend. I cannot, I cannot put you in the air anymore because you are going to be a direct competition. And this is what's happening with Coast to Coast. So well, they just dropped me. A few. Well, now that you say this, you open, you open the can of worms, and I will continue opening it too. A few listeners of another show, and you also mentioned it. I didn't want to say it, but yes, mm -hmm. Coast to Coast, thank me for having you on this show. I want to give you an open forum for the next question. With such an extensive audience of millions. What do you think cost your rift between George and Tom? Well, I personally believe that uh, there is a misunderstanding. At the beginning, I was uh, uh, asking Tom, the producer, um, to uh, not, uh, not, not Tom, but Lex, the, uh, their web manager. Lex Lonehood. Their, web, their website, uh, um, um, the their website master, I was asking him if I could put for free my forecast so that a lot of people would know uh, through my work, uh, get, some, uh, get some basics, because people was asking me constantly to put my prediction on my website, and that was too much work for me. So I thought, what a great idea to have my, uh, my prediction on, uh, on Cox to Cox show. So I made a suggestion to Lex, and of course, Lex, you know, might have talked to Tom or George, God knows what, the management, and they turned me down. So um, 
I was not happy about this because I was offering my uh, my services literally for free because my their own listeners were harassing me. Uh, and then what really upset me most is that I never had any formal uh, dismission, no formal dismissal, like, okay, Dr. Cherie, we cannot have you, we don't want you, we're not interested in you. They just uh, invited a bunch of guests, uh, which has, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be a big head, but not as a strong record of prediction as mine. And, and that created a, the trouble. People call me, they say, well, Dr. Cherie, your newsletter goes all over the world, your predictions are all over the place, they are using your predictions, and that's no good, they should have you. So they start to harass me, literally. And, uh, and, and then I put on my newsletter, well, you talk to them. So they were literally flawed, floated with emails of requests, and they still did not put me up there at the end of the year. And uh, George, call me. Even George himself, I have his cell phone number. Uh, we used to be very close. I don't know what our situation is now, to tell you the truth. But uh, we used to be very close, and he says, oh, a lot of people are emailing us nonstop. We are floated, asking me why I got rid of you on my show. You know, I never did that, never, never will, never will do that. The only error I made now is that I did not record it. Because if I had George uh, words on my recording machine, I would put it on YouTube. So people would know that I'm not lying. George told me his own words were, Louis, people are complaining that you're not going to be on my show. What's going on? You know, I would never do that. And the next thing you know, comes January when everybody was expecting me to be there because I'm supposed to be the top of the line. They invited a bunch of people that were using my predictions instead. And that's where the trouble is. This is a serious can, a worm, and people don't stop. People are keep harassing me, asking me, what can we do to get you there? And finally I said, look, let's drop all this. I'm going to stop my own show. And then this is where I talk to Don on BBS, and he says, okay, let's, let's have your show going. And I believe, you know, ultimately there is no accident. You know, life is a constant process of changes. So by, um, uh, by having all these things taking place, Ultimately, uh, I would be able certainly to serve people uh, more regularly. Uh, if they want me, well, they're going to have me for two or three hours every week. And then that was a good thing when you look at it. I got to say, George, <clears throat> George Norrie, and I've listened to his show for years, and that's actually how I came to know you for years. It, it, it permeated on the air how much he really, he really, really liked you and respected your work. But not only this, <laughs> George Norrie is constantly asked wherever he goes speaking, who is your best predictor? And, the, you know, and I was there on the third row once. He didn't see me. I was there on the first row. You know, and uh, he says, well, Dr. Cherie has always been the best of the best. And then, I don't know, for some reason, um, so people was pointing at me, and he saw me, and he says, Dr. Cherie, stand up. And I, and I got a standing up ovation right there in his lecture. I can't remember where it was. But uh, it, it, it's sad. It's sad because we have such a good relationship, and I've been working with those guys trying to build their ratings and then uh, they just drop me without any formal reasons, which I understand what it is. In their minds, in their mind, there can only be two reasons. The first one is that either they are afraid because I'm good at what I do, to um, if I start my show, 
to take over, literally, okay? Or there is um, an, another situation where their management, what I call the conspiracy, um, uh, do not want me. You know, uh, Art Bell hate me. I, I mean, literally, Art Bell had me first in his show. And Why? Why does he hate you? Because I put his name in my book, uh, and I told him that he was going to be off the air, uh, you know, a year before, and I gave uh, I gave a bunch of predictions, and even on George Norris' show, I said his wife was going to have a lot of problems with his child, which did happen. <laughs> so he's he's either afraid of my predictions or, or whatever or whatever I don't know, but he doesn't like me at all, and he could very well be because uh, he was built by Art Bell, but Art Bell has the last show, and when he found uh, the last saying, when he found out that I was a regular and I was coming too strong coast to coast, maybe he just said, okay, we don't want him anymore, or maybe there is so many variations. Might might be the station uh, sponsors are very Christians and they hate me when I announce. That uh, president-elected Obama is going to get assassinated. You know, they don't like my honesty and me being direct. And I have been so far 95% accurate. Now listen to this. <laughs> on the Internet, um, you, you, have, um, you have an area on the Internet that if you type someone's name, it leads you uh, to a website. Uh, and I cannot remember the name of this website. You said, oh, uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, um, yes. Yeah, one day, <clears throat> one day, uh, I, I, somebody sent me a note. Says, oh, my God, Dr. Chiri, go to Wikipedia. And I went there, and I typed my name and everything else, and I look at it. And someone that has been uh, listening to me, knows me very well for years, has actually wrote that I had 95% over the ratio of success in my predictions. And that stayed there for about a couple of months. And then I mentioned it once on my newsletter. The next thing you know, and Wikipedia just took it down. Because they say, oh, we, apparently they want to have the proof. My gosh, if they just listen to my show that I did on television, the same show I'm going to be doing tomorrow, by the way, in Tucson, um, uh, if they listen to that show before anyone even thought of the word um, uh, restructuring the economy, I was there telling everybody to be ready for a full, complete restructure of the United States economy. I said the same thing on Coast to Coast last year before my last show. So what I'm trying to say is um, when you have, if, if these people had their, done their homework, um, they would know that my predictions, like you mentioned earlier, they are well documented, they are dated, they are printed, they are on TV, they are on the radio. But, you know, it's just the way it is. You have enemies everywhere, in, in every field that you're in, you do have enemies that are jealous of your success, they are jealous of you, and they'll try anything to hurt your integrity or to hurt your progress. But you don't stop the truth and you don't stop progress. So, well, that's, that's why... Now. That's why this show is called The Veritas Show, because we're looking for the truth. But let me say this. I, as a witness and member of the Coast to Coast audience myself, I know for a fact you were George Norrie's weapon of choice as it related to predictions. He always wanted you there first. And you have nothing to worry about with this show. We're unscripted, uncensored, and uncut, and we welcome everything that you have to say. But when did you last speak to, uh, with George Norrie or Tom Deinheiser at Coast to Coast? When the last time I spoke to him? Yes. 
Well, you know, we used to talk nearly every day, at least over the Internet, you know, sending letters and feedback and this and that. As a matter of fact, we even went on a cruise together on the, on the Playboy cruise. Uh, Tom and I, we were like buddies. <laughs> and a sudden, I don't know, maybe, maybe he didn't like me sending him uh, my, my brand new Corvette because <laughs> he was a car of his dream. Uh, maybe he didn't like all the pretty girls hanging around me because I'm very successful. Uh, you know, jealousy could also play a part in his behavior against me. I, I was told, even I emailed him and said, Tom, for God's sake, what's going on, my friend? Tell me what's wrong. What have I done? What's, what is it? What, why do you have such a change in, your, in, in, your, in our friendship? What was your attitude here? Give me some feedback. Of course, he never answered me. Uh, some, something tells me that it goes beyond George Lex Lonehood or Tom Donheiser. What's your interpret? Uh, when and why did you feel feel the rift started? Um, it started when I uh, when I emailed uh, uh, Lex, their webmaster, and uh, asking him because what happened? He emailed me and he says, "Well, Doctor Cherry, we have a newsletter, and I'd like to have some write up and some predictions." So I did all that, and he was very happy, and everything was fine. Then came the idea. I thought, you know what? Instead of giving a bunch of predictions and a newsletter every blue moon, why don't you take a copy of my book? I give it for free because in, in, every, in every website, in every major website, you have a horoscope section. They have had the opportunity literally to get the best, so to speak, for free. And I thought, I'm not going to charge them for that. I'm going to give that option for their listeners so they're going to have a, a real thing. They can tab on this forecast anytime they want, and, and that was it. And that would, be, that would be it. I didn't want any money. I didn't want any advertisement. I was just, but from the bottom of my heart, I was being totally, completely, 150% unselfish by giving my intellectual property to Coast to Coast for free. And what they did with it, they just trashed it. And, and that was okay. I, just, I said, forget about it, no problem. And, and, and that was it. There was no big deal about it. I said, okay, it's business, it's business, no problem. You know, you know find somewhere else. I'm not insecure. I, you know, Coast to Coast is not everything to me. I've got all things going on. And then uh, things start to go, I, I knew the, the thing were going wrong because he did not email me anymore. He didn't call me anymore. Uh, you know, Tom used to say, Louis, for God's sake, you need to come on the air in 10 minutes. Where are you? I hope you're not drunk somewhere. I said, no, <laughs> no, I, I'm, you know, I'm a working machine. He said, you need to take me out of trouble, Louis. And how many times did Tom call me as a backup on Coast to Coast? What's your interpretation of that vis-a-vis -vis the dragon and conflicts? Well, I know through the stars, I know through the stars and through the subconscious interaction that a lot of people, a lot of people want more of me. They could not get more of me in where I stand in my life right now with Coast to Coast. Okay, so a chain reaction took place with the new dragon that is literally forcing me 
to make myself available not only worldwide through my Cosmic Code newsletter, but now through the BBS radio show. As I said earlier, there is no accident. All these transpire for a very specific purpose. Too many people in time and space, through the superconscious in time and space, have made a wish. The wish is, we want more of Dr. Cherry. And the chain event of reaction produces the situation between me, Tom, George, and Art. I'm out of there, and I'm opening my own business, so to speak. Do I make sense? Absolutely. And who do you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just being objective, okay? I'm just being objective. And I knew, I thought, oh my gosh, when Jupiter is going to move in Aquarius close to my Mercury, uh, knowing that life is a constant process of changes and the future is the reincarnation of the thought, I knew something drastic was going to happen. But I always teach my student and counsel my, my patient and, and, and clients um, that when you lose something, okay, very often is to get you to a higher level. It's like, for example, you are with a person, this person mistreats you, this doesn't love you, doesn't respect you, this person doesn't give you the financial security, God knows what. So there is a lot of battle, a lot of fight. I mean, finally, you divorce, and finally, guess what? Someone else comes in, and that's what's happening. I'm just being totally, completely objective, well above the situation by uh, entering the archetypal problem of consciousness in understanding my own situation. But, but the fact of the matter, because I was so close to these people, had they formally advised me, emailed me, called me, then I would have taken it in a much better way. See, I am all about the truth. When people do things in my back or under the ground, it's my job to bring it to the light. And that opened a serious can of worm, and a lot of people are signing off from coast to coast because of their attitude with me. Well, there's a lot of darkness out there, and that's why we brought you to the show, so we mm -hmm. can bring some light out there. Who do you think, really, who do you think is trying to stop your message? I think it's the sponsors of Coast to Coast. You know, Christians sad enough monopolize every single thing. The Church Inc. Uh, has uh, control, uh, uh, monopolize pretty much every channel. I mean, if you look at if you look at what's going on right now on the History Channel, or uh, what you will see is the apocalyptic chain of shows, and it's all religiously based. It's all about uh, the end of the world. It's all about this. It's all religious. So that tells me once more that the, the, the most powerful, wealthiest sponsors uh, on the radio don't like me. I think you something that I had never said on the air. That is very, very special, okay? Uh, and, and as I said, you know, your show is La Veritas, so let's say the Veritas, the truth, okay? In Spanish, I think that's what it means, yes? Veritas or Veritas in English or Latin, yes, correct. Yeah, okay, the truth. Okay, let me tell you something. A few years ago, I was doing a show um, uh, uh, in San Diego with the ex-mayor of San Diego. Um, gosh, uh, and he works, he works for an AM station with the top listened uh, radio station in San Diego. George... Uh, Edgecock, Roger Edgecock, the ex-mayor of San Diego. He told me, Dr. Chui, I don't do this type of mystical show here, astrological show, but um, um, my, um, you know, my trusted pr uh, promoter told me that uh, you are someone special and I'm going to give it a shot, but I can only have you for like 20 minutes. I said, oh, no problem. Okay. 
And then I start to talk to Roger and explain him everything about him, why he was fired from the city, why he was on the radio. And he was very, very interested. Now listen to this. Comes the 25 minutes, he says, oh, can you stay another half an hour? I say, yeah, yeah, because his ratings start to kick in. And then when I finished the other half an hour, he says, oh, Dr. Chirid, would you mind to stay a little bit more, please? And then finally, we did an incredible show, and then we had dinner in La Jolla after the show, and he was very, very much into what I was talking. He's a curious guy. And then, um, and then uh, I start to do the show regularly on, on this station. It, as I said, it was the most powerful listened AM station. That was well before Albert <laughs> and Coast to Coast was in the air. And um, one day... Uh, one day I got a call. I got a call from his producers. He says, well, Dr. Cherry, we cannot have you anymore on the air. I said, what? I, did, I don't understand. You guys told me that you're reading up the roof. Each time I'm there, you cannot keep up with the telephone line. This, this, this console is blinking nonstop. It's about to blow up. What's going on? And they said to me, well, um, we cannot have you anymore. We, we don't know exactly. I cannot tell you what's happening. The management is not... We, and guess what? Have you heard of Dr. Laura? Of course. Dr. Laura took over my spot. Now, you know that Dr. Laura is a religious lunatic. She's a religious fanatic. She's always on the air talking about the Bible. She's literally promoting uh, Christianity on, on, on the station. She's kind of slowed down a little bit now because a lot of people have, uh, you know. And for those, for those, I don't mean to interrupt you, but for those listeners, because we have people listening from 69 countries, Dr. Turi, in case you didn't know. For those who don't know, it's Dr. Laura Schlesinger. She's a, a very famous, famous talk radio personality in the United States. Go ahead. So I, I didn't know nothing about her, and I thought, well, I'm going to tune in and see who is taking over my spot. And it was Dr. Laura. Then I find out that Dr. Laura was... Uh, a sponsor on that show and she complained she wrote or she talked to the people there saying that I was not qualified I was not uh, a psychologist uh, I'm an astro psychologist of course and uh, uh, I was a liability for the station whatever it is and when you look at it I created I launched Dr. Laura Exactly the same with uh, um, men are from Mars, Venu uh, women are from Venus. John Gray. You heard John, John Gray, Gray, sure. Many times I have, oh my gosh, this is a show to talk about the truth. Let's do it, man. I might just empty my bag. It's <laughs> all <laughs> good. John well, Gray, many, many times my management has asked John Gray, I said, look, we have an informational with Dr. Turing. Uh, we know that you are a student. We know that uh, he's been reading for you and you have all his books and you took his class and blah, 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 blah. And he has never, ever wanted to endorse me or to do anything to help me, to promote me. Again, again, we're talking about Dr. John Gray. Uh, women are from Venus, men are from Mars, correct? Exactly. But why, why would people be uh, so insecure? Why don't they want to sit? My, when, you, when you look at it, man, I mean, uh, you have to understand, if the world out there now, they know uh, that John Gray is Dr. Cherry's student, uh, that might make a little bit different if we happen to be speaking at the same place like it happened in Scottsdale a few months ago. <laughs> Correct. Before before we take a break, I want to ask you the last question about Coast to Coast, and then we'll we'll let Coast to Coast fall behind. No pun intended. You bet. I, I don't know if George Nori from Coast Coast was joking about running for office in 2012, but I know a couple of times you both talked about that. Was he joking or did he mean it? 
No, I don't think George would, uh, you know, would be more concerned. George is totally into radio. He loves radio. The first time I was on the air with him, I said, you're going to be on television next year. He says, what are you talking about? The next thing I know, about eight months later, he invited me on his TV, on his TV show uh, in Los Angeles. So uh, I don't think, I think he was a bit joking. But I just want you to know something. The relationship I have with George Norrie is probably the best of the best I ever had with anyone involved in the broadcasting field. Uh, totally different than with Art Bell or with Tom, for that matter. And I still respect the man because I don't think knowing George from the heart, I don't think George would remotely try to hurt me or stop me passing on my message. No, with everything he has said in public and on the air about myself and my work. Dr. Turi, I, I think this is a compliment to George Norrie, but I try to emulate George. George is actually my favorite radio personality. Why? Because he does not interrupt his guests. He asks the questions the audience wants to ask, and he's so gracious with all his guests. I don't see anybody else like him. Exactly. And uh, sometimes he tells me in the air, you know, in, in, in between uh, commercial, he says, Dr. Churi, I know you're very passionate. I know you're very fast and very competitive. But, you know, uh, can you kind of slow down a little bit, start make it easy? So he, he, I, George has actually helped me to perform better on the air. So now I let the host finish his sentence because I'm so fast intellectually. <laughs> well, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Turi, the modern day Nostradamus. Don't go anywhere. And we're back with Dr. Turi, first show of 2009. We have a great show ahead of us. And Dr. Turi has said it. We want to really put light out there and bring all the truth out. We're going to talk about your predictions for the future. But first, for those in the audience who may not know you, and like I said before, 69 countries listened to the show in the last two weeks. Uh, for those in the audience who may not know you, maybe a few, why don't you take us back to the very beginning and how, will, how it all started as a child in France for you? Oh, my gosh. I was six, seven years old, not sure, not so long ago. And I had this um, little thing coming in my bedroom, which was the addict during those days because I was such a tough kid. My stepfather always tried to punish me and discipline me. <laughs> and uh, I used to see this little thing with big black eyes, and in the morning I was, you know, passed out in the middle of the night, screaming my head up. Everybody thought I was mentally disturbed. Oh, my gosh, the entire neighborhood was waking up because of my scream. And I used to say to my mom, because I didn't know nothing about grays, I used to say that the little monkey with big eyes <laughs> used to come, um, you know, come every night and look at me, and I'm afraid, and don't want to stay there. And then my stepfather thought I was just making it all up to go back with the brothers and sisters downstairs. And he just locked the door. He says, you, you're lying. And I was just freaking out and banging the door and then passing out until the next morning. And this, uh, each time I was punished, I had to deal with these guys. 
Now, as, as I said, six or seven years old, we didn't have a television. Forget about television or radio, for that matter. We didn't have a toilet. We didn't have any running water in this old house that stand by miracle after the German bombardment in the south of France. Right. This, this, this was a very, very old place. And uh, it was... It was it was just terrifying for me as a child because nobody was there to explain to me what I was seeing. Uh, that was. Um, Were you dreaming? Age. Were you dreaming, or did you actually see no, that? No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I was not dreaming. I know when I dream, and I know when I don't dream. Trust me. Oh no, oh no. You don't scream and you know literally bang the door to your hands are bleeding and still sleeping. Yeah, I was just hitting that door as hard as I could, trying to get out, and it hurt my hand. And you don't, you don't dream when you do that. I was fully awake, and I saw these things. And uh, I, I realized after a while, you know, if I passed out for five or ten minutes or whatever, shocking and terrifying or what, I, I always, re- I had to realize that I would be okay the next day. Whatever they were doing to me, I had no idea, but I was okay. Okay, and then uh, as I grew up, uh, this this visitation ceased, and uh, that was it. That that was my first experience with extraterrestrial, and it's as vivid as can be. And even now, I, I am I'm 58 years old, 59 very soon. I still have light on in my house in every room, because I know if there is a light on. They would not show up against my will, so to speak. But when I was a kid, we didn't have electricity. I only had a candle, and that didn't make the situation more easy. But I knew as soon as there were lights, they could not appear, or they could not transmute into this dense physical world. So that was my only, my only safe way. So I still have that fear of being surprised and turn around and see things. Sometimes I see them in the corner of my eyes, and I know, I know who they are, what they do, and what they've done uh, through uh, hypnotic regression, put it this way. But it's, it's pretty, pretty sensational uh, to undergo such experience as a child and, and remain sane a long, long time afterwards. So, so this, did this happen more than once? Every night. Any time I was punished by my stepfather, any time I was punished by my stepfather, I, I saw these things. My mom always says to me, go upstairs and blow your candle, make sure it's off because we don't want to put the fire in the house, okay? Right. And I was desperate looking for a cat. That's the only thing that would keep me warm because the, 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 the addict didn't have, uh, it had window, but the glass window was not there. We didn't have any money to change the glass window. So it was freezing cold, and the little cat was the only thing that uh, uh, could keep me warm. As a matter of fact, the first, the very, very first time um, I had, uh, uh, as far as I can recall, I felt something on my foot, and I thought it was one of the cats uh, trying to get away from an army of other cats to keep his rats because next door we had the uh, we had a butcher that was doing all the killings and that was attracting every freaking pest in, in the city and just behind behind my house and all the cats in the, in the area were in this house and many times they used to run upstairs and away from each other's and trying to to keep their prey and uh, <laughs> often I could walk up in the morning with after the eaten rat near me and I, and I was happy, though, when I had a cat, because that, that to me, was a source of warmth. 
And the, that night, I felt something on my foot, and I thought it was a cat. Then I pushed it so that he could come up in up the bed, so I didn't have to move the blanket to reach him and freeze my butt. And then when it did not, I just looked, and that's where, for the first time, I saw three. Uh, I don't know, two to three feet thing, you know, on the, on the back of my bed. Sitting Can you right describe there. them? Well, I mean, remember, we didn't have any light. The only light we had was coming from the street light. And, oh, so you uh, didn't have your candle on? No, no, the candle was off. No. Okay. But I could only see um, from the outside. The, 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 window, the, the window is really big. Is really big, and uh, there was no, as I said, there was no glass window in it. But just under the window, uh, it's a double-story house. We had the light in the street, the street lights, and it was not powerful, but it was enough to walk around the street and see where you were going. And when it's pitch black, that light is bringing enough uh, enough light to, for you to see your your surroundings. And that's where I saw these three things on the on the bottom of my bed. I, you know, actually it was not it was not a, it was a bed if I recall, maybe a mattress. It's so long ago. We were so poor. I had to look in the trash for food. My mom during those days we were eight of us. And she just met my stepfather. He didn't have a job. It was just terrible. It was hard. It was hard. And and many abductees always explain how they first get the visitation, and then they are taken. Were you taken? Oh, I tell you what. How would I know? The only thing I know is I passed out. What were they doing to me? No idea. But I was so freaking out trying to get out that I used felt the blood come into my head and just knocked myself out. I was just passing out. And I, I didn't know. I just woke up in the morning in my bed, screaming as soon as I woke up my eyes. Uh, but my eyes started to scream. And then my mom rushed upstairs like always. No, oh, you had a bad dream again. You had a bad dream. No, then right. I had a bad dream, mom. And then she would never, never really understand what I was going on through. So when you, had, when you had your ET experience, do you think a unique gift was given to you, or was it merely a human power awakened well, that we all inherently have? Mel, that's the first one. I have three more. Uh, three more experiences that are uh, dramatic, but let me tell you the second one. Uh, the second one, I was, um, um, I was uh, coming back from England. I was at the Royal School of Music. I was like 19 years old or something like that. Right. And I arrived home, um, it was a Sunday, and everybody was there, and I was looking for, um, uh, you know, my little sister, because we were very close. And I said to my mom, where is Noel? Oh, no, she's not here, she's gone to work. I said, Sunday? Oh, no, she took the bus, she took the bus, because during those days she was working as a uh, training nurse in a hospital somewhere lost in the mountains, a couple of okay. miles away. So anyway, um, and then my sister just knocked the door, and she came in. You know, she, she came in and she was crying, saying to my mom that she missed the bus and she was afraid of losing a job, blah, blah, blah. So my mom says, well, don't worry, uh, Louis is going to give you a ride. So let, let's take the, 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 you know, take the story short. It's 4, 4.30 in the morning. Uh, we left around 3 or 4 in the afternoon, something like that. I was exhausted, desperately looking for a cup of coffee. Anything open, my sister was sleeping like a rock. And, and I was just really tired and it was frozen outside it was ice on the street i said my gosh i need a cup of coffee and i need to know where the hell i am i got lost because you know what <laughs> those small little street over there <laughs> anyway i arrived in a place 
uh, to my amazement, it was open in the middle of the night. And I parked my little car here, and I waked my sister up, and we went inside. And I asked her to sit by the door because I'm very protective. I said, you sit right here. And uh, I will never forget, you know, when uh, she asked me what, when I asked her what she wanted to drink, she wanted to have a Coca-Cola, which is very, very cold. I wanted to have a coffee. So I went straight to the bar, and that, whoa, wait a minute here. I was at the bar, and I saw, and that's why I was very scared, I saw three huge guys. I mean, they would make a footballer look like a child. They were like, I don't know, over six-something. I mean, six-five. Monsters, monsters. In my mind, I thought those guys are working, cutting the woods around here. They're largest they're, or something. They were human-looking, human, human, like, human looking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, they, they were looking too. They were, one of them, put it this way, my nose was his belt. When I was asking for the cup of coffee to the barman, he gave me the Coca-Cola first, and I brought it to my sister, and I said, don't move. She was passing out again. Then I went back to collect my cup of coffee, and my nose was at the belt of this guy. I tell you how big it is. At and the belt? Yes, his butt, his butt was near me. I was, he was on my left side. My nose was at his belt. And then he turned around, and he looked down at me. And, and he says, and he had cards in his hands. And he said, do you want to play cards? I said, you know what? No, man, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm lost. I want to have my cup of coffee. And he says, now, do you want to play cards? How old I were said, you? Oh, 19, 18. Oh, wait a minute. So you were not a child because children can actually be, you know, have their heads next to somebody's belt. But you were 19 and your oh, head no, was on. No. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's the second story. Yes, that's nothing to do when I was a child. No. That was, I was 19 years old. I was taking my sister back to where I was driving there. I was coming back from England. Uh, I, I used to be in England during those days. Anyway, and uh, oh, it might be a little bit more, maybe 20. 19 or 20, I can't remember so long. So, so these, are, these are giants. Oh, monsters, monsters. And the two, there were three of them. Two of them were looking straight ahead of them without any facial movement, without moving at all. They were like frozen. They, were, they had the hand the bar, and they were looking straight into them, ahead of them. And this big guy just turned around and asked me to play cards. So I turned him down a couple of times, and then I thought, well, you know, he's big. <laughs> I might as well just compromise, you know, and comply. And then I pull, I pull up a card. And then as soon as I look at the cart, he tells me what the cart is. I thought, well, that's, that's, that's nice, you know. And he said, take another one. Then I take another one. I said, whoa, that's, that's, that's incredible. And he says, take another one. So I take another one. Then I said, whoa, that's a really good game. And he looked at me and he says, Louis, this is not a game. Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute here. I, I never told him my name. And so, talking my name uh, right there, and at the very second, I felt like if somebody was sticking a screwdriver from one side of my temple to the other, the pain I was holding at the bar, I said, oh my gosh, I was losing my balance. Then I managed to ask the barman, I said, hey, where is the bathroom? The bathroom was like five feet away, right? The door was open. I just managed to go there. I opened the cold water, freezing cold water. I put that water in my face because I was about to pass out. And I felt like if I had a chain connecting me to this guy's head, and I was talking to him in my head, I said, oh, my gosh, who the hell are you? What are you doing to me? I might be a quarter of your size, my boy, but you are going to tell me what is going on here. Are you? And I really meant it. I really meant it. I felt like invaded. I felt like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? with my head so this is telepathic yeah oh yeah oh yeah okay. in, in my head i was talking to him 
and then I walk back. I mean, it doesn't take long to put some fresh water in my head and get out. Maybe, I don't know, a five or six second top, open the top, put something and think of this and go right back. And I came back, they were gone. How were these guys, giants? I mean, were they Nordics, Anunnaki? What were they? Uh, they, you know what? I was 19 or 20 years old. I'm 60 years old. It's long, 59. It's a long way. I can't remember. Uh, they were tall, but they were like, they had a human form. They were human, tall, and they were blonde. I, I believe they were the Nordics because okay. they were too big. They were really big. Well, nearly seven feet tall. I can't believe these guys were walking around this bar. Now, did anybody were, else see them? Did anybody else in the bar see them? The barman was there, and I came out and said, where are they? He said, what had you just left? So I went outside, gathered, I looked at my sister. She was asleep. So she was safe and sound, and I was happy for that because I was worried. Then I went outside. I looked left. I looked right. I listened. Nothing at all. And then I came back, and I said, where are those guys? He says, where did you slept? They must have come with you. I said, no, there was no car when I came in. And they just disappeared in the middle of the night. I don't but, think those guys were frequent bar people. No, did you ask no, the bar- no. Did you ask the bartender if they'd seen him before? No, he didn't know nothing. But let me tell you, maybe the rest of the story would tell you what happened. Okay. I, 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 I wake my sister Noel up and I said, let's get out of here right now. Let's go. Don't ask no question. Let's go. Get in the car. Get out of here. I get into the car, okay, and I start to drive. The next thing I know... It's nine o'clock in the morning the next day, and I'm driving. I'm I'm on my way back home. I'm I'm arriving. I'm arriving at the door of the little village where I'm from. Where have I been all night? My sister does not remember anything. She only remembered when we arrived. Very clearly, she remembered the restaurant. She remembered getting out of the car, and she remembered sitting at the table. And after that, she said, "I don't remember anything." So it's a case of missing time. Yeah, I don't think this restaurant was there. I don't think, I, I think they made it look like if it was a restaurant, it could have, I don't know. I have no idea. But it, what a shock. What a shock to find myself, okay? The next day, next day around 9 o'clock in the morning, arriving at home, not knowing where my sister is, not knowing where I dropped her, if I dropped her whatsoever. I was going so to ask you if these beings were extra-dimensional, but they were obviously physical. Yeah, but there's only one that I spoke to. The two others were like frozen in time. They were not doing anything but looking ahead of them, no facial expression, no word ever came out of their mouth, no moves. I was petrified. What the hell is going on? And, you now, know, when you go through something like this, you know, it makes you really, really wonder. And what's even more interesting, and that's, that's, that's the culminant point, I had the worst headache ever that I would ever, ever wish on my worst enemy for about three consecutive weeks following this encounter. Now, what happened to me? What did it do to my head? Why such a long headache for so many weeks after the encounter? Did you ever check for implants? No, I had no idea what was happening to me. I was 20 years old. I was, I was in 1970. Well, going back, going back to that, do you think your gift was given to you by them? or was, Yes, is it some... at, the, at the fourth experience, they downloaded the cosmic code in my brain. Uh-huh. Let, me, let me bring you to the third experience now. Okay. The third experience is the most obvious experience that anyone can have with extraterrestrial, because as far as I'm concerned, there is not a single doubt 
that these things are real because the consecutive experience that I had. But most of all, the one that happened to me in November 11, 1981, uh, with my brother George. My brother George, uh, during those days, on the discotheque. Okay, kind sure. of ma- mafioso guy, hotels and restaurants and bars and all that <laughs> stuff. And he used to live outside of the little village uh, in a big huge farm. Okay, and this and is in France. In France, in the south okay. of France. And okay. uh, when I go home, I usually stay with him. Uh, we, you know, we stop life in France around uh, eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock at night, and we stay up all night. This sure. is the type of life we have. Okay, so breakfast around eight and nine in the morning, sleep all day, and do it again the next evening. Okay, so it was um, about ten or quarter past ten, November 11, 1981. I would never forget for as long as I live. Okay, and we were driving from the farm to the main road through the vineyard that would take us to another big road and then the highway, and the discotheque was about an hour away. Okay. So I was okay. driving every, like every single night, doing the same thing. We were driving through the vineyard. But that night was a bit special because on my right side, I saw some light coming in our direction, which I never saw anywhere there before. So I said to my brother, oh, my gosh, what is that? And then my brother, big brother Joe Scorpio, don't speak, big tough guy, you know. He says, what's the matter? I said, there is light over there. He says, Louis, there is no light. Grapes were picked up in September. We are in November. <laughs> huh. so very rational, logical, down-to-earth, big tough guy. Everybody right. respect him. He's the oldest guy in the family. He has a ton of the money and respect from everybody. So anyway, I, um, I know better than to challenge him, but I still told him, I said, Joe, that something is wrong here. He says, oh, come on, just relax. And he kept driving. And then after a certain time, what really attracted my attention is those lights were moving, and, and they seemed to be high, not down. It's not like a tractor you know, or a car. There's nobody in, the, in this little rolling of the nights over there. Nobody, peasants. Anyway, and then it came to happen, just right there, my friend, a brand new Mercedes that he was driving died, right in the middle of the road. And above this Mercedes, there is something huge, huge, uh, hovering. I had no idea what it is. Okay, it's pitch black, but there is plenty tons of lights pouring down from on top of the car. I, my brother grabbed me like a little girl. That's where I saw it's a big brother business here. And he, I said, I'm going to go out. He said, You crazy? What? Stay in the car. Stay in the car. I said, No, I'm going to get out. Find out what it is. Was it? Said, was it like an orb or a spaceship? Well, I didn't know. Remember. Quarter past ten, I don't see anything, just light above myself. Right. But I, I get out of the car, and I couldn't see because the, the, the light was like so bright, like, like a sunlight. And then all of a sudden, they switch down the light. They switch it down, they switch it off, literally. And they only left uh, from, from the center, like a goldish, uh, reddish, uh, greenish light. All these colors combined together, going all around me and around the car. And I still could not see what the hell was above. I, I could hear the humming noise, the type of noise. So, right. okay? And then after a while, I don't know, maybe a minute or so, my eyes begin to adapt. And there it was, my friend, like 30 feet above my head, like if I could jump and touch the thing. The most incredible machine that anyone could have a dream to see during the course of a lifetime. A flying saucer, 
above the car, suspended right there. Now, when people said, oh, if you're close to this flying saucer, you're going to be cooked. That's not true. I was there for a long time. And I was banging the Mercedes, and I was banging the windows, screaming every French word I knew, <laughs> asking my brother to get out. He would never did, by the way. He had his nose against the windshield looking up, and he, he, he gave a good look, and he saw it. And, and then finally, after a while, they switched their lights on again, and they just took off. Like maybe 10 feet above the roof of the next door farm that thing was flying by. I thought he was going to take the chimney off. Anyway, I was just like shocked, mouth open. My brother and I were looking at each other. We were like shaking and said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, freaking flying saucers. He says, Louis, listen to me, listen to me. You never saw a flying saucer. I said, Joe, I am going to beat the out of you right now. He says, you can't say it. All the people I know, everybody I know are going to think we're crazy. crazy you sure. did not see anything. You don't say a word to nobody. I was freaking out. Anyway, I listen to this. We took the same time. This must have taken my three or four minutes. Not even the three-minute top. Then I experience, okay? Francis came on top of us and hang around for a while and took off. That, that's all I know, basically. But... When we arrived at the discotheque, the discotheque was full. Usually we arrived, there's nobody there. We have a few groupies and the barman and uh, my brother is giving direction and we're about to open the discotheque, right? We were like an hour late. Let me guess, you were there a few hours later and you didn't notice. Exactly. Now listen to me, I've never seen my brother drinking or smoking in my entire life, but this night he had a cigar and he had a scotch in front of him. And he was looking at me at the end of the bar. I was looking at him. Uh, we were just freaking out. We were trying to make sense that right. whatever people have said and it's been written and, and assumed there is, now you become a part of the truth. You become a part of reality. There is no doubt. There is no doubt in my mind that extraterrestrial and, and flying sources are real. And trust me, it was not a helicopter. I, were, I saw it through all my eyes. And then the next day, my mother calls me. And she said, hey, Louise, your brother, all right? I said, what do you mean? Well, he taught me a few things that happened to you last night. See, so very close to my mother. He told my mom. And then 15 or 20 years later, at the table... Just up a sudden, just because he decided it was time for him to say the truth on a Christmas night in front of the entire family, he says, I got something to announce to everybody. He stand up and he says, you remember? Remember what Louis was saying, that we saw a flying saucer and we always deny it? It's true. I don't want to lie to my children. I don't want to lie to my son. I don't want to lie to my daughter. I'm telling you the truth. Louis and I, we had seen a flying saucer when we went to a discotheque around my birthday. And that was in November, his birthday, because he's a Scorpio. And that is the third experience. Okay, please hold that thought, Dr. Turi. We have to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is truly fascinating. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. <laughs> 